Good morning to all of you who took a shower today. Welcome to Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. If you took a shower, you are a water user. We're going to talk about all aspects of water, including the difference between a water user and a water consumer, but that will be on down the road. My name is Tommy Ray. I've been involved in the water business for 25 years. I'll be your guide on this float trip. Water is a hot topic. This podcast is a chance to dip your toe in and check its temperature. You'll quickly grasp some of the early concepts and say to yourself, okay, that's not so hard to understand. Since my toe said not too hot, let's see what happens. Water is the most important resource on earth. Also, the most used and abused. I think we all agree on that. There's a lot of it, right? Then why does it get so dang complicated? Imagine a faucet labeled water knowledge, history, use, ownership. You turn the valve on slowly. Like a faucet in your house, that knowledge will start dripping out, drop by drop. And that's the way to understand water just a little at a time. And each drop is fascinating. You'll soon find yourself reaching to turn the faucet on a little more. You'll tell yourself, I'm getting this. Now you're hooked. With every one quarter turn on the spigot, you'll catch a little more water knowledge. Be careful. The more you learn, the more you want to know. Water knowledge will seem to you like a large, slow-moving whirlpool on the Mississippi. It starts slowly, but as you move toward the vortex, it picks up speed and sucks you in. Pretty soon, you're up to your eyeballs and still trying to understand water. So let's start. Most of my knowledge and experience is with Colorado water. Really, the mother of Western water law and the one other states look to for guidance. So the early episodes of this podcast we'll deal with Colorado water. We'll eventually get to other states and other situations. I'll later tell you more about me, but let's turn on the faucet to pour out a little history. What is a water right? Who owns it? How did it get started? Consider this. The Colorado gold rush was 1859. Fortune hunters were flooding to Colorado. A miner goes up a small creek near Idaho Springs. After months of prospecting, he finds the perfect spot and strikes a gold mine. Hooray! Now he needs water to wash his ore or possibly drive some stamping equipment to further break the rock and release more gold. So he goes upstream about a quarter mile and dams up the creek to divert the creek water over his tailings. Did he ask permission? No. Did he get a permit? Certainly not. This was before Colorado even became a state. He just did it. No one complained. Things were working out fine for him until the next spring when another miner moved a little further up the same valley and struck another gold mine. Good for him. He needs water to wash his tailing. He goes a little further up the same stream and builds a dam to cause the water to flow to his side of the valley over his gold workings. Uh Uh-oh, 
we got a problem. What does a first miner do? Easy. He takes his shotgun and goes to the second miner and says, some bitch, I was here first. Let my water go. And this is the essence of the doctrine of prior appropriation. First in time, first in right. First in time and shotguns ruled the early days of water use in Colorado. Credit to Jim Felt, water attorney in Colorado Springs, for this bit of historical storytelling. Maybe not exactly what happened, but the concept is correct. And that same idea of first in time, first in right, carried out onto the flatlands east of the mountains. Farmers were the next immigrant wave. They started moving in, raising crops, and using water. Lots of water. One of the first areas that farmers chose was in and around Greeley. Greeley, named after Horace Greeley, founder and editor of the New York Tribune, who famously said, go west, young man, go west. And west they came, seeking land and a better life. There was plenty of land and seemingly abundant water in the Pooter, Big Thompson, St. Vrain, and other tributaries to the Platte. The early pioneer farmers were seeking a better life. Understanding farming, farmers, and their need for water is critical to understanding water today. Why? Because they use gobs and gobs of water. I'll discuss how much gobs and gobs is in a later episode, but let's stick with how farmers diverted, used, and came to own so much water. Picture one of the earliest farmers along the Front Range. For you non-Coloradans, the Front Range is a narrow strip of land stretching east along the foothills. Those are the hills before the big mountains we all know as Colorado. It was maybe 20 miles wide and 150 miles long, trending from Colorado Springs up north past Fort Collins. The Front Range is a vague term that has been given to the densely populated portion of Colorado. Back to the early farmers. Let's pick a hypothetical one. We will call him Farmer Jones. Farmer Jones probably settled on a fairly flat spot along one of the rivers that run from the mountains going east toward the Platte. Folks back east would call them streams because they are small compared to rivers in the east. The Platte is the major river or big stream that flows from the mountains southwest of Denver, through Denver, and then north toward Greeley. From Greeley, the Platte trends east to Nebraska. I have to digress often to set the scene so everyone can follow. Anyway, Farmer Jones, this earliest farmer, started off small. He may have claimed only 80 acres fairly close, really right next to, the Poudre River, or big stream. He knew that if he went upstream of his farm and dammed the shallow river, he could raise the river level enough so that he could then dig a trench or ditch beginning at the dam on his side of the stream. His intent was to divert stream water over his property and irrigate some of his ground to grow a better crop. Because he didn't have a pump, 
he could not irrigate the ground above the ditch. I hope this makes sense to you. Water runs downhill. Farmer Jones could only irrigate the land below the ditch that he dug. After building the dam and the ditch, he could then flood the land below the ditch. This is called flood irrigation. This was hard work, really hard work. His ditch had to have enough of a slope so that water would flow through it. I don't want to get technical, but the fall might be one inch every 10 feet, just enough so the water would flow. I'm fairly sure it was trial and error by the first farmers. And of course, Farmer Jones's land was not perfectly flat. So out of 80 acres, Farmer Jones was probably lucky to get water to flow over and irrigate 20 acres or so. Stay with me here. Let's suppose this was 1865. Farmer Jones would keep adjusting how much water flowed into his ditch to give his crops a really good drink when they needed it, but not so much as to drown them. He probably needed to add about three feet of water per year to his 20 irrigated acres to get a good crop. When I say added three feet of water, this would be over the entire growing season, typically May 1 to October 1. Adding three feet over this 150-day period means on average, Farmer Jones would have been putting about one quarter inch per day on his crop, a nice little shower every day if it had been rainfall. In total, he added 60 acre feet of water per year. That's 20 acres of ground being covered by three feet of water. We'll later delve into descriptions of quantities of water and how much crops actually need, but this gives you a good idea of how crops were irrigated. In later episodes, we'll do some calculations, but for now, just know that Farmer Jones was continuously adding about 90 gallons a minute to his field. A typical garden hose from your house runs at 10 gallons a minute. So this is about the same as the farmer adding nine garden hoses of water to his 20 acre field for 150 days continuously running day and night 24 seven. If this doesn't seem like very much water, think of a 450 gallon per minute fire hose spraying water over those 20 acres for five hours every day for 150 days running. That's a lot of water. Since farmers use such great gobs of water, they use different measuring units than you may be used to. They use acre feet for quantity and cubic feet per second, or CFS, for rate. So his quantity is 60 acre feet and his rate is 0.2 CFS. Now that sounds a lot less than 19,500,000 gallons and 90 gallons a minute. That's math, and we'll have to talk about that in a future episode. But for now, let's further talk about first in time, first in right, and how the doctrine of prior appropriation really works. The next year, 1866, Farmer Brown settles along the Pooter, maybe one mile upstream of Farmer Jones. 
He is a little more aggressive and claims 160 acres and is able to irrigate fully half his ground or about 80 acres. Doing simple math, he needs roughly 0.8 CFS. The following year, 1867, Farmer Green settles below Farmer Jones and selects 320 acres and again is able to irrigate about half so he needs 1.6 CFS to irrigate 160 of his 320 acres. All well and good for the early farmers. But the farmers just kept coming and claiming more and more water. Well, there's just not that much water in the pooter. Let's say average flow in the pooter might be 200 CFS during the month of June. Well, heck, our first three farmers have only taken 2.6 CFS out of, the, out of the river running at 200 CFS. Fine, now let's suppose a thousand farmers have moved in and there is simply not enough water to go around. Why not just share the water equally? The main problem with that concept is that river flows go down significantly at the end of the summer when the snow has pretty much melted off the mountains. Unfortunately, this is the time of year crops need water the most to fully develop. The average flow in the pooter might be 60 CFS in August. You see it's gone from 200 in June to 60 in August. If the water were shared equally, then each farmer of the 1,000 farmers would only be getting 0.06 CFS. Everyone's crop would wither and die for lack of water. Better to let the first claimants use all the water they ever used and be able to make their crops. Imagine if you were farmer number 500 and your crop was beginning to wilt in the hot August sun and you had no water. Your livelihood depends on making your crop. Your children are hungry. What would you do? Probably sneak out at night and open your head gate to irrigate as much of your crop as possible. But oh no, your neighbor might be Farmer Green or Farmer Jones. They would probably patrol at night with their shotguns. And if they caught you stealing their water, they might just shoot you. In fact, there was lots of gunplay over water theft in the 1870s. Finally, the sheriffs and court system got together and said, this gunplay nonsense has to stop. The sheriff and courts put out a notice. Everyone that thinks they have a claim to water come to the court it was then in Arapahoe County in 1882, and file an affidavit claiming, one, when you first started diverting water, two, how much water you diverted, three, where you used it, and four, for what purpose. Wow! These guys just established the first recordable water rights. So, the most senior water rights being the earlier ones and the later ones being more junior. Some of the junior water rights holders might get no water at all at the end of the season because the more senior water right holders got to take all the water they ever used. 
And if you have 783 holders in front of you, meaning they hold more senior rights than you do, not necessarily in front of you physically in location on the river, they probably suck the river dry. Hey, that happened. And in fact, it still happens today. When an in-priority water right owner has claim to more water than is in the river, that water right holder gets to take the last drop of water from the river. This is referred to as sweeping the river. We'll get to dry up points and sweeping the river in later episodes. So we have now established water rights and those rights have been recorded at the county level. Somehow all this has to be administered and regulated so that the priority system actually works. The court first set up a system to regulate who was getting water based on priorities. Later, the state formalized the administration by establishing a state engineer's office. The state engineer was tasked with sorting out water rights scattered up and down the river, rather up and down the rivers. His instructions were to make sure senior water rights holders got all the water they ever got before more junior water right holders could take any water. The state engineer hired a river commissioner for each river and let that river commissioner sort it out. The commissioner had to go into the field with the records of priorities and control the flow of water into hundreds of ditches based on the system of priorities, maybe dodging bullets from farmers that got their water turned off by the commissioners. Farmers were directed to alert the river commissioner if they thought they were not getting all the water they ever got. What a nightmare for the commissioner. Sorting through and shutting off water in reverse order of priority until the earlier water rights holders get all the water they ever got. When a farmer thinks he's not getting all his water, he quote, calls the commissioner. A call has now been placed on the river. Sorry to keep using the term, gets all the water he ever got, but it's important in the way rights are administered. When a farmer calls, the river commissioner, a state employee, checks his records. If more junior water rights holders are still diverting water, the commissioner starts shutting off head gates of the junior holders in reverse order of priority until finally the senior guy that put a call on the river is satisfied. As water levels in the river go down later in the summer, more calls come in and the commissioner has to shut off even more junior water rights holders until the one that put in the call to the commissioner is satisfied that he's getting all the water he's entitled to under his water right. What a crappy job the commissioner had, or rather still has. Not only was it complicated as the Dickens, it was dangerous. A farmer doesn't like someone from the government coming by and turning off his head gate so he gets no more water. I'm sure farmers begged and pleaded, I just need one more day of water to make my crop. The early commissioners carried guns for self-protection. Heated arguments were a part of the job and a real danger. 
I think you get it. An 1890 water right is turned off before an 1889 water right, and so on. Using our first three farmers as an example, if it was a severe drought, Farmer Green, 1867 water right, would get his shut off before Farmer Brown, 1866, and Farmer Brown would lose his water before Farmer Jones. Okay, enough of this for now. It gets a heck of a lot more complicated when a ditch is enlarged and has several water rights, when farmers band together to farm cooperative ditches to share water, etc. We'll dive into this in future episodes. Turn off your computer, go get a glass of ice water, relax, and watch the movie Chinatown to remember how water theft can be a major problem. I'll finish this first episode with an apology. Too many puns. But water is everywhere in our lives. It soaks us through and through. Ugh, another one. It makes it fun for me. Life should be fun. Water is fun. I look forward to sharing my water knowledge in the next episodes. Stay tuned. Let's enjoy the sounds of a small mountain creek to close. See you next time. <laughs>